0: Let's begin with you a new series of sermons, and if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there with me, we're going to begin today with 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to be staying with this passage uh, throughout the series, but this will be our focus of our study this morning, and I'll explain in just a minute. But you got plenty of hints if you just sang of uh, Tumult of War, of... uh, Trial and tribulation of false sons in the pale of the church. It's an ever present issue. And we turn now to 1 Corinthians 15 to, rem- to remind ourselves that even in the primitive apostolic church, they had the same problems that we do today. Well, from 1 Corinthians 15, reading from verse 1 down to verse 22. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, and after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, So we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead did not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Well, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray from your word that you would teach us your good, pleasing, and perfect will, that we should become complete in knowledge and perfectly united under the banner of truth, as it's written. Teach us to understand your ways, that we might be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. In him we pray. Amen. In uh, 1905, a young man named Gresham Machen graduated from Princeton Seminary and went to graduate school in Germany to study under one of the most important theologians in Europe, a man who, I just found out yesterday, not only has a street named after him today in Berlin, but even an asteroid named after him by some of his adoring students because of the love that they had for this man. Machen wrote home about his new teacher, Professor Hermann. The most important thing, he says, that has happened to me in three days since Sunday was my first lecture from Professor Hermann. If my first impression is any guide, I should say that the first time I heard Hermann It may almost be described as an epoch in my life. Such an overpowering personality. I think I almost never before encountered overpowering in the sincerity of religious devotion. Hermann may be illogical and one-sided, but I tell you, he is alive. I can't criticize him, as my chief feeling with reference to him is already one of the deepest reverence. Since I've been listening to him, my other studies have for a time lost interest to me. For Hermann refuses to allow the student to look at religion from a distance as a thing to be studied merely. He speaks right to the heart. And I've been thrown into confusion by what he says. So much deeper is his devotion to Christ than anything I have known in myself during the past few years. I don't know at all what to say as yet for Hermann's views are so revolutionary. But certain I am that he has found Christ. And I believe that he can show others how they might find him, though perhaps afterwards in details he may not be a safe guide. A little later, Machen wrote to his brother, Arthur. Hermann affirms very little of that which I have been accustomed to regard as essential to Christianity, yet there is no doubt in my mind that he is a Christian and a Christian of a peculiarly earnest type. Machen was captivated. Hermann stole his heart away. Hermann, a man who denied, as Machen says, every essential of Christianity. As Machen found out, Denying that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he did miracles, even that he rose from the dead. He didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God, but he did have a pick-and-choose approach to what the Lord really said. Hermann denied the facts of Christianity, but he had the feelings. Boy, did he have the feelings. Machen was impressed, but he wondered, can these things be separated? Facts from feelings? Hermann's approach to the Bible made it much, much easier for modern people to believe. But if people were only picking what agreed with them from the Bible, were they believing in the Lord? Or were they only really believing in themselves? Hermann had the most profound devotion to Jesus that Machen had ever seen. Was it the same Jesus? Machen was fully immersed in the new German school of theology that was soon to be called theological liberalism. But by God's grace, Machen came to understand that this was, in fact, despite all appearances the very antithesis of true christianity and he spent the rest of his too short life seeking to destroy what had so captivated him now you have to understand that in the years since nearly all the christian denominations in america have been deeply influenced by this teaching by the end of the by the turn of the 20th by the beginning of the 20th century And nearly all of them were about to break up because of this. Machen's Northern Presbyterian Church saw the trouble coming, and they tried to require all the ministers to agree to a few, just just five basic Christian beliefs, an effort that failed, even though the majority of the men still believed those points. But in 1924... Some 1,300 ministers in the church, about 10% of the denomination representing every part of the church, even the Foreign Missions Board, they signed what was called the Auburn Affirmation. And this is what they said. The General Assembly attempts to commit our church to certain theories concerning the inspiration of the Bible, the Incarnation, and the Atonement, and the Resurrection, and the continuing life and supernatural power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all hold most earnestly to these great facts and doctrines, but we are united in believing that these are not the only theories allowed by the scriptures and by our standards as explanations of these facts and doctrines of our religion, and that all who hold these facts and doctrines, whatever theories they may employ to explain them, are worthy of all confidence and fellowship. Let's not fight you see. I mean, bodily resurrection is one theory of the resurrection. But there are other theories. Some of us believe that Jesus lived on in the hearts of his disciples. It shouldn't matter what theory you have of resurrection as long as you believe it. This won the day. It won the day, so far as I know, in every mainline historical Christian church, except for uh, two, Southern Baptist Convention and our little church. Every other one split apart, and for their part, the Southern Baptists did, did lose many. Machen was one of the few who recognized the real problem very early on, because he had studied in Germany where this new teaching originated, and from one of its most celebrated teachers— the problem wasn't that some people had some theory or other about some doctrine. No, no. The problem was that a new religion had come forth. A religion that was not supernatural, but natural. One that had, in fact, a different view of God, man, sin, the Savior, and so forth. Though very confusingly, it used the same language. Machen was right at the point that he needed to be to explain it. He'd become professor now at Princeton Seminary, and he had to explain what was going on to the church. So he wrote a book. It was named the one of the top 100 books of the 20th century by Christianity Today, and one of the top 100 books of the millennium by World Magazine. Over the next several weeks, I'd like to give you some of its most important ideas, as I've done several times. I know that some of you are traveling here and there over the summer. If you're going to miss a few weeks, why, just read the book. It's free online. You can get it in a copy if you like. Uh, It was published 100 years ago this year. And the title of the book says it all. Christianity and Liberalism. The title of his book. 100 years later, it's still vitally important to us because that other religion, liberalism, has, in fact, taken over many parts of the church. Like Machen, for a time, it has won the hearts of many of our friends and relatives and co-workers and neighbors. Just before that book uh, came out, Machen uh, gave a, a speech he explained the chief modern rival of christianity is not islam or buddhism but naturalistic liberalism which is almost dominant in our large ecclesiastical bodies today it hadn't taken over quite yet Machin was sounding the alarm we need to do something but now it has taken over and it does seem to be the largest religion in the western world today what is this religion well, today's sermon is uh, based in part upon his introduction, just 10 pages. Um, but as usual, uh, I'm not going to follow the book. I'm going to be preaching sermons from the Bible. But in the process, seeking to explain and illustrate the significance of that for us today by Machen's book. You want a good summer read on the beach? Pick up Christianity and Liberalism by Machen. Maybe it'll start a conversation on the beach. We turn today, not to Machen's book, but of course to the Word of God after such a long introduction, and I would like you to understand that what Machen saw coming into the church is nothing new. No new problem at all. No, in the passage before us, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to expose and to refute some false teaching. Some of them were saying, verse 12, There is no resurrection of the dead. Well, the Bible, of course, unashamedly teaches the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament. What happened to Jesus will happen to every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever lived. But this was very hard for those modern educated people in Corinth to accept. You see, to oversimplify things for a moment, Greek philosophy Had a very strong belief that the soul was good and the flesh was the source of all of our evil desires and problems. But when you died, your soul was freed. You went to heaven and there you stayed forever and ever. If I could change the words a little bit. The Greeks found the Christian teaching on the resurrection, the Bible's teaching on the resurrection, frankly, unbelievable. Um, ridiculous, a scandal, offensive. They couldn't accept it. You might never have noticed just how often this comes up in the Bible, but it comes up a lot. For example, when Paul went to speak to those men of Athens at Mars Hill, those philosophers, they listened to him patiently until one point. Remember what it was? He mentioned the resurrection, (laughs) and there we read, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter, an invitation that never came. Okay, that was just a bridge too far. Later, when Paul was making a defense before King Agrippa, he asked him, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? I- incredible in the sense of unbelievable, something that he just could not believe. There was even a major party or denomination within Judaism called the Sadducees. They had the money, they had the political connections, they had the power in the nation, they held the high priesthood. They also had a different version of Judaism, we'll say, a a changed Judaism in order to make it socially acceptable to the world of that day. And do you know one very important thing that the Sadducees denied? They denied that there was a, a resurrection. These are the Hellenized Jews, the one with the connections, the power, the prestige. They changed the religion to get rid of this scandal. I could go on, but The point is, nearly every controversy the church faces or has faced is a result of trying to make biblical religion somehow acceptable to the spirit of the age. Well, here it is. It comes up in Corinth. And, predictably, uh, there's a bending of Christianity to accommodate the culture. So some began teaching, well, there's no resurrection. And surely this made Christianity much easier for people to believe. Gave them a hearing. We want people to believe. We want to have a hearing. We don't want to put people off i hope and does it really matter so much someone might ask people today ask the question look i don't necessarily believe all this but does that really matter if i just still believe in jesus can i still do the work of jesus what we we want to have unity i hope what's so important about some theory that one holds on the matter of the resurrection In this chapter, you see Paul's answer. Everything depends on it. Everything. And all those other good works and ministries and all that are for nothing, if you deny it. Let's look at the passage. And as we look at it, we will consider four differences between Christianity and liberalism, old and new. I'd like to illustrate to you the problem by showing you the historical problem in Corinth, Christianity and liberalism. What's the difference exactly? First, as, as he puts it, a saving gospel versus being still in your sins. A saving gospel versus being still in your sins. Paul's answer may surprise you, but if you ask, can you still be saved if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection? Paul says, Absolutely not. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He then recounts the basic facts of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. I deliver to you, first of all, that is of first importance, of primary significance, that which you received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose. He rose, again, the third day, according to the scriptures. To deny the resurrection of the dead, you see, is to deny that Jesus rose from the dead. That is to deny the gospel by which we must be saved and saved. Paul lists the logical consequences of denying the resurrection. Rapid fire, from verse 12 to 19, he says, Look, if the dead aren't raised, there are several important conclusions. Jesus wasn't raised. Our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. We're a bunch of false witnesses. We're we're simply liars. You are still in your sins. Those who are dead are gone. And finally, we Christians are the most pitiable Foolish people in the world. High stakes. No, you, you, you can't just uh, pick and pick and choose. Pull things out as you as you like. Some of you played Jenga before, right? Fun table game, and you know what it's like when you pull out one of those supporting bricks. Uh, the whole thing comes down with a crash. And so it is with the resurrection. Uh, now, clearly, in the Bible, don't get me wrong. Various personal convictions must be born charitably in the church. We have consciences about this or that, and Paul writes about that elsewhere. But some things, some other things, must be believed, or you have lost the name Christian. You have certainly lost the Christian gospel. You have, in effect, made a different religion, which Paul says has left you in your sin. A a Jesus who didn't rise from the dead is another Jesus than we've preached to you, a one who did not exist and certainly can't help you. That's, That's Machen's point in his book. That's the approach he's taking. That's why he makes this stark difference. Christianity and liberalism. Paul does with the resurrection and other doctrines simply what Paul is doing here, showing that if you actually have a completely different view of God and man and sin and Christ, well, Machen puts it this way, if you try to remove from Christianity anything that could possibly be objected to in order to try to bribe off the enemy by giving away what the enemy most desires, you, in fact, have really abandoned that which you started out to defend. The difference is between a saving gospel versus being still in one's sins. The difference between Christianity and liberalism, secondly, is a matter of facts versus feelings. Facts versus feelings. Paul says, look, you're trying to deny the facts of what happened. We've seen Jesus resurrected, and so he goes down the list, doesn't he? From the disciples, that is the twelve, and the Lord's brother, and 500 people uh, who all uh, were with the Lord. As one man put it, if 500 people were seeing the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection, right? Uh, okay, Uh and even by me, uh, all all the way down to the end. So the the point is that that this this liberal approach to Christianity of denying the things that you wouldn't like to, to believe, it's not just denying the gospel, as bad as that is. You are denying reality. You are denying reality. Paul confidently appears here to Abundant repeated, firsthand, eyewitness testimony, because Christianity is a historical religion. It's presented to us as an account of things that happened. We might say, facts. And it's not a matter of whether people like the facts or not. People who deny the facts because they don't suit them, they are out of touch with reality. And Paul and the other biblical writers Understand the great difficulty that people will have believing these things. What can they say to persuade the people? Well, they say a great many things. They say according to the scriptures and many other things. But, you know, chiefly in the book of Acts and in the epistles, we are witnesses. We are witnesses. We are all witnesses of these things. You may believe it or not, but it happened. Paul's ultimate point, which is then taken up by Machen a century ago, is that what changes people's lives today, you see? What sets men and women free from sin and guilt? What delivers them from the falsehoods that enslave the human mind and heart? It's not an idea. What sets them free is a person, a person who was born, who lived, who died, who rose again who ascended into heaven before their very eyes. And we are not asking people to believe any ideas, but to confess and trust and love a person, a person whose deeds are recorded in history. And and this is why believing in Him has the power to transform our hearts and lift our lives from earth to heaven because we are believing in the Son of God, the real Jesus. Now, people understandably stagger when they read these supernatural events in history, though, though they are not, not like the Enuma Elish or other uh, ancient uh, myths in any way, as Lewis and many other people have pointed out, scholars of literature. They still understandably stagger at such claims. But, but Paul is saying, this is the whole point because nothing merely natural would ever have dealt with our needs, with our sins, and brought us redemption. God would have had to do something wonderful like this to bring redemption to the world, something of the the order of God becoming man, man to deliver, dying for our sins and being raised to life for our justification. And if you don't believe that, Paul says, I'm sorry to tell you, not only just denying the gospel by which you may be saved, you are out of touch with reality. The Jesus of the New Testament, Machen wrote, has one great advantage over the Jesus of modern Reconstruction. He's real. And again, he says, it's no wonder, then, that liberalism has a totally different foundation from Christianity. Sorry, sorry. it's no, it's no wonder, then, that liberalism is totally different from Christianity, for the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases upon... Sorry, it bases upon the Bible both its, both, its, both its thinking and its life, according to the scriptures. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. All right. And that's why it has to change every generation, in every culture, in every place. This approach that's not new is founded on the shifting emotions of sinful men. Now, contrary to what some people believe today, liberalism, the modern version of it, as the ancient version, it didn't begin as a bold-faced attempt to undermine biblical Christianity. Oh, no, it, it grew out of a growing need to present Christianity in a compelling way to a skeptical modern world. I mean, every culture has its prejudices and finds certain things in the Bible hard to believe, right? I mean, here in the modern West, the people of the West don't like what the Bible has to say about sexuality, although they they like its teaching about forgiving others. In the Middle East, the situation is completely reversed. They really like the part about sexuality and the the strict morals. In fact, maybe it doesn't go far enough, but that teaching on forgiving others, it's ridiculous. Who could live like that? A scandal. Uh, My point is, our feelings are no safe guide to the facts. What you feel about the facts does not change the facts. Christianity, I tell you, has feelings because of facts. We have feelings because of facts. I mean, how great is it that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me? That is something to get excited about. That is a fact that makes our hearts rejoice. Christianity has feelings because of facts. Liberalism, which has captured the modern world, adjusts facts to fit the feelings. Adjusts to facts to fit the feelings. And uh, I'm not trying to make any social commentary, but just to illustrate to you today the, the very current issues in America's religious world that that liberalism still defines and influences our whole culture. This is not something that's separate from the culture. This is something that's very much a part of the way that modern people think, modern liberal people think. A hundred years ago, if you told your doctor that somehow you felt like a woman that was in a man's body, the doctor would refer you to counseling to get your feelings in line with your bodily reality. Nowadays, the doctor would refer you to surgery to get your bodily reality into line with your feelings, you see. This is the triumph of liberalism, where reality is adjusted to fit one's feelings. And liberal theology is just one part of a great system Uh, Liberal theology helping it along and being influenced by it. Big system effect. So this illustrates, though, my point is, back to this, forget the social commentary, a great difference in religion. On Christianity, we base our feelings upon the facts. In liberalism, they adjust the facts to fit the feelings. Now I must hurry on. The third difference. uh, Christianity versus liberalism. Divinely revealed versus human invention. Divinely revealed versus human invention. Did you notice how Paul repeated in these early verses, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Did you notice how he makes an argument uh, starting here in the beginning of Genesis and then uh, go, going on, as an Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Um, uh, t- tying the whole together is the point. C- Christianity is a revealed religion It didn't come from somebody thinking, you know, in a cave about something. Um, it's uh, a revealed religion. And I'll have to say more about, on this next week as we come to chapter one. But there's a profound difference between a religion that's revealed by God in a word from him and a religion that's developed by man, um, perhaps picking and choosing some things from the Bible and some things from the culture, and, and trying to make them all fit together as a man thinks might be best. That that, that that is an approach that we must reject, Paul points out. In its modern form, Machen is clear to say, liberalism likes some things that the Bible says and embraces it in part, just like the people in Corinth. They didn't deny everything. They just denied the parts they didn't like, but they embraced other things. Um. So Machen writes today, certain ethical principles of the Sermon on the Mount are accepted. Not at all because they're the teachings of Jesus, but because they agree with modern ideas. Okay? The criteria by which people go through the Bible and pick what they like is their modern ideas. And if Jesus happened to agree with them, or they like what Jesus said, well, we'll take that. Not because it's what Jesus said, but because it agrees with me. This is why it's a different religion. It's a religion of human invention. However, when a passage is not appreciated, well then, the modern liberal project does what the ancient liberal project did. It either denies it outright, there is no resurrection of the dead, or else, very confusingly, the teaching is redefined to mean something else, but using the same words, it has a different meaning. So this is very, very confusing. And if you've ever been in a liberal church, you know how confusing it is, where they're still saying so many of the same things. But, but somehow you realize you're not talking about the same thing. This is where the confusion came in Machen's day and where he said, I, I understand. I understand. I've been in the lectures. That liberalism is using the same words meaning different things. Let me explain the meaning of the words. Machen again here. When you get beneath the traditional phraseology used everywhere in the church today and you get to the real underlying issues, you discover that the great redemptive religion called Christianity is being attacked within the church by a totally different type of religious thought and life, which is only the more opposed to Christianity because it's making use of traditional Christian phraseology. We all believe in grace, I hope. Wonderful. You, when you realize that somebody means something completely different by grace, whoa, saved by grace takes on a new, a new understanding. Okay, hey, this is where Machen's going to go. He said, let's, let, let's just go through the major doctrines of the gospel and let me explain to you from the source what the difference is. Now I have to press on and finish with uh, my, my fourth. Uh, if you missed any of these, let me just go back here. Um, A saving gospel versus being still in your sins. Faith, excuse me, facts versus feelings. Divinely revealed versus human invention. And fourthly, godliness versus cultural morality. Godliness versus cultural morality. Why do you think I fought wild beasts in Ephesus? He goes on to say. You know... If the dead don't rise, verse 32, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's not pretend we still have a religion without a resurrection. Verse 32. I didn't read it earlier. I'll read it to you now. If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. False doctrine always leads to false living. It's just a matter of time. Now, it may take a generation or three for this to be worked out. The... um, the, the pious liberals like uh, Machen knew are going to give way to another generation. But once you've given up, in principle, the biblical teaching in order to make it acceptable to this world, once you've given up the teaching, the other shoe's going to fall. You're going to give up biblical godliness to make it acceptable to modern morality. No matter how piously devoted the founders of liberalism were or seemed to be, their grandchildren left godliness far behind if they're still in the church today. And I'm sad to say it. I say it with absolutely no gloating. My heart breaks. Paul writes this in anguish. For he knows that without this, your faith is empty and soon your church will be empty. Certainly, your godliness will be gone. Well, it's hard to be different. It's hard not to think and act and speak like everybody else around you at work, friends. You have to have a reason if you are going to be different. And liberalism denies the reason for being different. In whatever culture it's in, in whatever time, it denies the reason for being different. It seeks to fit in. And it denies the reasons for having a holy life. Because this is not the end, people. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Machen wrote in a day when people were promoting what was called then social gospel, in a revised form today, social justice. And yet, as we've learned, social justice is another way of saying cultural morality or too often cultural immorality, as we do what's right in our own eyes. Many people, uh, in reviewing the book, then as now, 100 years later, as it's been republished several times, have, have said, oh, you know, this is talking about theological liberalism, not social or political liberalism. And yet you have to wonder to yourself, gee, it is kind of interesting that they always go together, though. Is there is there no connection? If you read some reviews, you wouldn't think so. But friends, uh, they've historically gone together for a reason. Because Jesus says, look, you're the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its savor, its salty flavor, what is it good for? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You... You, you, you give no influence, this is what's going to happen. I read an article uh, this past week from a magazine that's now 15 years old, lamenting and decrying the decline of the mainline Presbyterian church, Mason's church. And it explained what happened, and I was astonished as I, as I read it with new eyes, now 15 years later, because I didn't understand these words before. Uh, but, but 15 years ago, the, the magazine is explaining what's happened to the church ignoring that scriptural and constitutional counsel policies and programs of the Presbyterian Church USA over